Welcome to the Single Lady Estates podcast. My name is Bobby Wasserman, and I'm the founder of Single Lady Estates. Thank you for spending some of your time with us. Today, we are concluding our interview with Lisa Ziderman, managing partner of Miller Ziderman LLP. Lisa is a certified divorce financial analyst and certified financial litigator. She's known for her work on complex litigation regarding financial and custody divorce matters, as well as pre- and post-nuptial agreements in New York City and Westchester County. We're just going to start where we left off, so let's rejoin our conversation. As we move through our example timeline, let's say that our marriage is now a little bit rocky. Maybe there's some financial bullying going on and we're thinking that it's not going to last. What are some practical steps that we can start taking in addition to calling an attorney? So I would say you should start gathering financial documents. That would be a very important thing to do. Make sure that you have, if you can, have five years of tax returns. Make sure that you have the account statements. If you need to, make copies of those account statements and tax returns. Make sure you have the credit card statements. Going back five years, if you can, and some people can't, but if you can, to the extent you can, will be very, very helpful. And take the copies and put them in a very safe place outside the house. So either bring them to your office or give them to a trusted friend or to a family member. You can do all of those things, and that's a very good practical way to get yourself started. I would also say that you may want to start thinking about making sure that you're doing and saying things that are not combative within the household. Because it could come to a point when you are going through your divorce and you want to start thinking about the things that you are saying and doing. Are you being provocative in some way and instigating a argument? Be careful about doing that. Because those kinds of things that actually occur, those fights, those disputes, those things can actually result in one of you being excluded from the home. So be careful about, be careful to say the things that you say and the things that you write. Those things that you write, those very angry emails or texts that you may be writing to your spouse, those may show up later in a court action. They could show up later in motion papers. Be civil. That's very important. No matter what your spouse is saying to you, you need to be civil and respectful because that will go a long way. Remember, you may be reading those texts or those emails out loud for a judge at a trial. So think about that before you fire off that next text or email. And that becomes part of public record and your boss might see that, your colleagues, everything's online at one point. Well, so yes and no, I, I'm going to say. So in New York, those actually are not online. Now, I can't speak for other states, but those would not be online. Those court actions are closed to the degree that only the attorneys who are working on the case and you and your spouse, and maybe if there's an attorney for the children or there could be a forensic evaluator. Those are the people who are going to see the papers. They are not online for everyone to see what they say. Now, that being said, that's a very good point because you need to be careful what you're posting on social media because that is online for everyone to see. Yes. And so making sure that you post appropriately on social media is extremely important because that will be for the world to see, for your employer 
for anyone to see. And so before you denigrate, say something that is not actually respectful about your spouse, be careful because that spouse may also be the parent of your child and the community is now seeing that and you need to think about what someone is going to be thinking in terms of a judge, in terms of a a psychologist who may be evaluating your family, what someone is going to be thinking about when you're posting this denigrating material about your spouse, the parent of your child. Excellent. Let's talk a little bit about custody for minor children and expenses of adult children. And I'm thinking more about college, perhaps helping your child or children purchasing their first home, that those type of adult expenses. Based on the emotion behind the divorce, what can generally be expected? So in terms of custody, in New York, we talk about two areas, legal custody, which is how do parents make decisions? And there are a variety of ways that we deal with that. And when I say decisions, I'm not talking about routine decisions, such as whether or not, you know, your child is going to get amoxicillin for strep throat. I'm talking about major decisions, such as where is your child going to go to school? What are the doctors that you're going to choose? The therapist? Does your child need ADHD medication? All of these areas, these major decision areas, religious areas, are we going to, how are we going to raise our children in terms of, of religion? These are all areas that hopefully you and your spouse can agree upon. And even if you can, you still might need some sort of a mechanism in the event that during and after your divorce, you don't agree. So sometimes we use what's called the professional model. One of you will follow the advice of the therapist, if one of you agrees, for example, with your child's therapist with a decision, then you may make that decision for the child. Or you may jointly consult the therapist and together, after hearing the therapist's recommendations, make a decision jointly following the advice of the therapist. Keeping your option, then you can always go back to court if there isn't something that you believe is in the best interest of your child. There are also other areas where one of you may get final decision-making. So we have joint legal custody sometimes with one parent who may have been the primary parent, meaning the parent who was more hands-on and making these decisions on an everyday basis, having primary final decision-making. Or we may have sole legal custody where one parent simply makes the decisions for the child and then consults and informs the other parent. So those are the three types of custody. And then, of course, there's the access area where it is determined as to how much time will each of you have? How are you going to be splitting holidays and vacations and breaks? What's going to be the schedule, whether it is a split schedule or whether one parent who may have been more, again, of the primary caregiver may have the children more of the time? These are all areas that have to be determined. Now, you ask something that's very interesting. What do you do about your adult children? Okay, so it depends on your finances, right? After 21 in New York State, and I believe in other states it's 18 years of age, your children are considered adults, and you don't have an obligation to support your children after the adult age, which we call it emancipation. So after your child emancipates, it is purely voluntary. And I think it really depends on what you and your spouse decide or, frankly, what you decide to do in terms of supporting your adult child. 
And it may be that you both decide together that you want to do this and you want to help your child with rent or with a business that they are going to start or with a further educational development, such as a master's degree or a doctorate. Those are all choices, but they are not mandatory. And so you have to decide if you want to do that. But in New York State, it's age 21. And in other states, it may be 18 years of age. Is that something you can work into a custody or a divorce agreement about college expenses and perhaps other types of help? So yes, college expenses are often included, most often actually included in our financial agreements, how they they are going to be divided and what types of colleges may be acceptable. So for example, it may be that your obligation is capped at some percentage of a state school, or it may be that it's not capped at all and that it is up to where your child goes to, and each of you will pay some proportionate sum of money based upon your income level at the time. So there are various ways you can do that. If your child is very young, let's just say that you're going through a divorce and your child is two years of age, you may decide to reserve your rights to go back to court or to reach an agreement between the two of you at the time of your child becoming right for college. But yes, college expenses are usually divided on some level. Okay, great. And if it's not in the divorce agreement about college and it was a verbal agreement and one spouse later says, I've had enough of this, I'm not going to pay, that's kind of it, right? Yes. If you've waived your right to request those college expenses, that would be it. Now, again, sometimes people reserve their rights. So it may not be in the financial agreement, but you've reserved to go back later. However, if that's not the case and you basically waived your right, then you're correct. You may not be able to go back again. And so if you didn't negotiate that in the first instance or reserve your right, you and your child may be out of luck for that particular expense. And that goes to the next question, right, about unpaid spousal support. So I know of women in this position, some cannot afford to go back to court to enforce the agreement, and some actually just don't want to put the energy into dealing with it. Can you talk about uh, unpaid spousal support and, and maybe some general ideas? Yeah, it's very unfortunate. So I would say spousal support is one area. There are also, frankly, add-on expenses. So I'm going to talk a little bit about add-on expenses because I think that they are the most difficult in in terms of post-judgment expenses that have to be paid. But look, if your spouse actually owes spouse's support, you can go back to family court or back to the Supreme Court, depending upon which your court is, Supreme Court of the state in which you're in, and actually put in what is called a contempt motion because they are actually breaching not only a contract, but usually a court order. And you can ask that they be responsible for your legal fees, or you can ask if you really don't have the money, you can ask for representation. Most states will have some sort of setup in the court system where they will provide you with a lawyer. And you may go to legal aid in some states. I would not walk away from your spouse's support. If you are owed that spouse's support, if you negotiated that spouse's support, you should actually go and and try to enforce that spouse's support because it should be rather straightforward. Excellent. What tends to not be as straightforward 
and so difficult for, particularly I find for women, is the issue of add-on expenses. So in most states, I believe, there are basic child support and then there are what are called add-on expenses. So they may be unreimbursed medical expenses for the child. They could be college expenses, as we just discussed. They may be extracurricular activities, orthodontic expenses, therapeutic expenses, all of those educational expenses. Many of those are called add-on expenses, and they may be in your agreement, and your ex-spouse now may be actually required to pay for those expenses, but has declined to do so by not paying. You may be sending the receipts. And after a while, what tends to happen is you've sent the receipts, you've sent the proof of payment, maybe you've gone to the trouble of putting together the spreadsheet, and guess what? There's no payments. And then what happens? I see it so many times. You stop sending the receipts. You stop sending the emails. You stop communicating about the expenses because your attitude is he or she is not paying anyway, so why bother? And then you show up in my office or some other attorney's office, and it is five or six years later, and you have the very beginning of the receipts, and maybe you've sent him some receipts, he or she, some receipts recently. But in between, for all those years, there were no receipts. And I say to the potential client or client, okay, I need all the receipts and all the proof that you have sent all these years. Because your agreement actually likely required that you send those receipts. And you say to me, and I can't tell you how many times I hear this, I didn't send the receipts because he or she just wasn't paying anymore. And what was the point? Well, the point was that you would have had a record. And now that person has a problem because had they actually put together all the receipts, sent that beautiful Excel sheet, had the emails to prove it, I could literally put that package together at a very low rate, put it all together, put an application in for the court, and say, he or she has been sending all of this, and the other person hasn't been responding. And not only is he or she owing this amount of money, but they should also cover this particular portion of the legal fees to make this application. And I could also say he or she might actually be held in contempt meaning they could be incarcerated for not paying it. So don't give up. Don't stop sending that information. Don't stop keeping track because I'm going to tell you that's a strategy. That is an absolute strategy that is being utilized where somebody is just not being responsive, is not paying no matter how many times you send it, knowing that you will give up and stop sending it. And then they won't be responsible because you can no longer quantify it. And for my friends who are listening and you know who you are, take the energy out, right? It's like pouring a cup of coffee. You know they're not going to pay. Do it anyway so you have that record. Keep the record. Yeah. So, so in your experiences, Lisa, what type of co-parenting has been the most successful? Tell us something happy. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you something happy. I think when people actually both recognize that their children are products of both parents, and they both are really transparent and they both support one another and they both support one another to their children. And they don't say, you know, go ask dad or mom to pay for it. And they don't say, you know, your mom, she's just a bad person or your dad, he's just a bad person. 
you know, they really are just not smart or don't understand. Instead, what they say is, you know, when a child comes for a decision to be made, I really need to speak to mom or dad and we'll decide together because we decide what's best for you. Or it's really important, you know, dad or mom is really good at science. Why don't you call them up as you're doing your homework because they would be such a huge help. Or when they make room at the concert, when they actually save a seat for the other parent at the concert so that you're both sitting together and watching your child at the concert. All of those types of things are so important to children. Children dislike when the other parent is degrading their other parent, right? It's very important not to do that. And so those parents who actually can together parent can often raise really, really healthy children. And their children actually are fine during a divorce. They have a great life. They have two loving parents. And so I would just recommend that people get along because you're going to have each other in your lives for a really long time. And I will tell you, I often have people who get along really well. We hear very little from those people in terms of parenting issues because they have learned and they know that they want the other parent to be a real part of their children's lives. Excellent. Excellent. Can you talk a little bit about the gray divorce of women over 50 getting divorced maybe after 20 plus years of marriage? What are you seeing out there regarding that? It's really very disturbing is what I am seeing. It's disturbing because so many of those women who are in their 50s have not been in the workforce. And it's really what we discussed earlier. I represent women who maybe have worked just a few years in their careers and then decided that they were going to stay home, and now they've been married 25, 30 years, and they are either deciding that they want to get divorced because they're just not happy, or their spouses have decided that they want to get divorced because they're not happy. And these women are expected to figure out really how to build a career at this late stage. They will get spousal support very likely, but it's not going to necessarily be commensurate with their lifestyle. And it's not lifetime spousal support. And that's the rub, really. Because if they are able to go out and make sixty dollars to $100,000, having not been in the workforce for a long time, and some of them are married to you know, spouses who are able to be, have been in the workforce, and they are making $500, a million, $2 million, $3 million, or more, because they have been in the workforce every single day, they are not going to reach that income potential. And it's just disturbing because you can't make it all up on spouse's support. You just can't. Very good to know. Are you seeing a lot of stay-at-home moms? I still am seeing a lot of stay-at-home moms. I, I am. Okay. I am still seeing a lot of stay-at-home moms. Certainly not all of my clients. I represent a lot of executive women. Mm-hmm. And those women are out there and they are making very good money and they have established very good careers. But there still are quite a few stay-at-home moms. I will also say, interestingly, that the other piece of this is that some of those very high net worth executive women who are big earners, they are finding themselves having to pay spouse support sometimes. Yes. Or having to pay child support. And they are extremely shocked disturbed, upset by it. And I'm going to say that they are still in the better position 
because they are not asking for the money. They are earning the money. And it is better to be the person who is earning the money, even if it means you are paying spousal support, even if it means you're paying child support, because you are not waiting for someone to write you that check. Very good to know. I I actually know of several women that are not getting divorced specifically because of that. They don't want to pay spousal support and they would have to do that. But, you know, here's the thing about that. Okay. Those women are going to have earning potential probably for many years to come. And so, yes, they're going to spend some money writing checks for spousal support. But the fact is that they're still going to be having the lion's share of the assets in the future. And right now, they are saving for two instead of saving for themselves. And it's short-sighted because it also could be that the other spouse determines that they want a divorce. And so they're still going to be paying the spousal support. It just may be 10 years later. That's true. And it's not a good methodology. I think that you have to be thinking about the fact that you're fortunate that you can earn. And we're fortunate, frankly, that women have come so far in terms of the workforce, and that we can pay the spouse's support. And I know that is a bitter pill to swallow, but frankly, it was a bitter pill to swallow for men also. Very true. Very true. Lisa, are there three tips that you can leave with our audience on matrimonial law? And it's intentionally broad question. What do you want people to know? So I would say, first and foremost, respect your other parent. Make sure that you do that because that will matter in terms of custody. Fostering a relationship with your other parent is very important. The parent who fosters the relationship is the parent who is likely to be the custodial parent. Number two, make sure that you really understand your finances or find someone who can help you understand your finances, whether it be a lawyer or a financial advisor. And number three, if you are being abused, if you are being either financially abused, emotionally abused, or physically abused, get help. Go to some organization that can help you. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time and insight, Lisa. I just This has just been great information that allows people to at least start thinking about legal issues around marriage and divorce and custody. Are there any final thoughts and where can people find you? So people can find me at my website, which is lisaziderman.com. People can also email me at lz at mzw-law.com, or they can call 914-455-1000 and ask for me. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Single Lady States podcast. To learn more about what Lisa discussed and to join our community, go to our website at singleladyestates.com, connect and engage with our community, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Have a great day, everyone.